I will. Confess to you, um, this is the, the last, kind of the home stretch of what is a long morning um, for, for me and, and for John and for Jenny and for those of us that started at, well, well before 6.30 this morning with, with the sunrise service. But I, I've got to say that there's somebody here who deserves, a few people who deserve a special um, medal today. And that is, and that there may be others, but May Rombo back here, John down here, this is their fourth service. This is the fourth time they're here in this sermon this morning. Anybody else? Oh, the grandkids, that's true. And the grandkids come and visit, and they get stuck going to four services today and singing with us. Thank you. And it can be a challenge to preach it four times. I know it's a challenge to listen to it four times. So um, I appreciate them and, and everybody. It has, been, um, it has been a great morning. I'm going to say this now because I'm going to forget later. Um, if, you've, if you got Easter lilies today, if you bought them in, in honor or memory of someone, please feel free to take them when you leave. And also, um, Jim and Lori Racky and the family, if you were out here in the gathering place today and saw all the wonderful food, um, they, they do this every Easter. They do it at Christmas, too. They just, they go all out. And if you know Jimmy and Lori, thank them because it's a, you know, that's a lot. This is the big day of the year, and there's a lot of food they've put out there. And, um, but, but they also want me to say to you, before you leave today, go eat some because they don't want to take it home. So go have some when you leave. There's, there's plenty in there. This is Jimmy, if you don't know Jimmy. So please do that. And I thank them and, and their army of helpers and everybody who's helped make Holy Week such a, a special week um, for us in the life of this church and certainly in our faith. Um, we, we celebrate Easter today. And, and in this time, we, we finish what has been um, our a sermon series called We Believe, in which for six weeks, if you have been here, minus the Cantata Week, we have, we have talked about some of the foundational statements of faith in the Apostles' Creed that we've read each week, and, and like we did today. And we come to the final breath of the Apostles' Creed. And, and I say it that way because I began the series by saying that if we could do the Apostles' Creed correctly, if it was possible, we would say it in one breath. Because it's not meant to be sectioned. It's understood as a whole. And it's a confession of, of who God is and who we are. And it comes to fulfillment. It comes to kind of full circle here. And this final statement that we make when we confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It is, it is the, the, the bow, if you will, on the, the present that God gives of understanding not only who God is, but what God has done for us in Christ. And on this day of Easter, it's the day that most powerfully we see the way in which Jesus turns things upside down, just, just spins it all around. As I said and talked to before, women who thought they were going to anoint a body and have a funeral were encountered by a risen Lord, and everything they thought they knew changed in the light of the resurrection. And that's what God does for us at Easter. I, I laugh because I always look for visual um, kind of metaphors and things that speak to me about the significance of this day. And, and I got up this morning, and um, I've, I've told each service. This, this tells you a little bit about our family and the, the personalities of, of our family and the um, habits, I guess, would be. 
For years now, one of the traditions for sunrise service is Ryan has gotten up and gone to sunrise service with me. He's always done this, as far as I can remember. And so last night, you know, I said to him, just to make sure, Ryan, you're going to go to sunrise service. Yep, I'm going to sunrise service. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to wake you up at about 5.30. Okay. And I looked at Cassidy, my daughter, and I just looked at her. And she just looked at me and said, don't even think about it. (laughs) That's our family. And her mother doesn't get up for sunrise service either. So she's here for two. She's not doing three. So, um, and that's okay. And that's kind of the way that we are. But I I went in to wake up Ryan. And and I know this is silly and it is, but he was completely flipped around on the bed. His feet were on his pillows and his head was down at the other end. He spun it all around. I've never seen him do that. Uh, that's, that's not characteristic. But, but I just stood there and because it's the way my mind works and I thought, that's just perfect. Because that's what today is. It's a day everything gets spun around. It's a day everything gets flipped around. And that's what Jesus does in the resurrection and the life that he gives. And so I want to read from another of the gospel accounts of the resurrection story from Luke's gospel, chapter 24. I pick up at verse 36. Now this is later on resurrection day. Uh, Jesus has already appeared to the women, which we've talked about. And in Luke's account, he has appeared to the, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they have run back to tell the disciples what have happened, the rest of the group. We don't know who those two were, but we've, they've run back. And they've told the disciples what they've seen. The women have reported what they've seen. And the disciples still aren't buying it. Okay? They're still not believing. Because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Would you? Would, would, we don't expect this kind of a thing. When somebody's dead, they're dead. And so they're not sure what's going on, but they're hearing these stories. And into this moment, we pick up at verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, all that has happened, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Friends, sisters, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, open our minds that we would understand and hear anew the story and the power of your resurrection, that we would be changed now and forever in the light of Christ Jesus. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Every time I read the stories, every time I read the scriptures, every time I read the accounts of, of the resurrection... There are always different things that, that stand out to me, different things that kind of strike me or jump off the pages, if you will, no matter how many times I've read the story. And, and this time, as I'm reading it, it just became interesting to me, and it's, it's n- very noticeable, but that, that Luke recalls that even when Jesus appeared 
to them, when he showed up there in that upper room, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. It blows the theory out of the water, seen as believing. Because the scriptures say he was there among them, and they didn't believe it. And I don't think that's hard to comprehend. I don't think it's hard to understand. Uh, we don't expect somebody who was dead to be alive again. The disciples, no matter how much Jesus had said, they didn't expect it. And his presence, you know, I want to say caught him off guard. But, but I think that that's too kind. I think it freaked them out is what I think happened. Now, the scriptures don't use that, but that's what it means in the Greek. Freaked them out. And because the scriptures say that Jesus was just there. You know, there were restrictions in the resurrection of Jesus. The restrictions on the resurrection, resurrected body that Jesus didn't, or that, that Jesus had before. There are not restrictions in his resurrection. And he has a way of just popping in in places. And I think Jesus had a sense of humor. I'm convinced he did. And I think he had a little fun with him. I think he kind of liked to goose him a little bit. And boom, there he was. And I think it, it freaks him out. Because there's nothing more startling than when somebody is where you don't expect them to be. And I'm not even talking about dead to, to life. I'm just talking about when you don't think anybody's there and somebody's there. I mean, that's the basis of some of our greatest pranks. You know, when you just catch somebody unaware, unprepared for your presence. Now, most of the time, I think if you have any kind of heart, you try not to do that to people. I will walk in on people around the church all the time during the week or in various parts of the building who don't know I'm there. And if I walk in and they have their back to me and I realize they don't know I'm there, I generally will try to make some noise, you know, shuffle my feet, a slight calm noise, so I don't scare them to death when they turn around and see that I'm standing there. Because it scares us when people are there that we didn't expect to be. Now, most of the time I try to do that. Sometimes I seize opportunities. Now, I want to tell you this side story, this little insight. Uh, we're blessed at this church, I, and I'm blessed as a pastor. We have great, great staff all around. Everybody on the staff, ministry staff, and, and volunteers are wonderful. And, and you have... Well, you know what? This is your statement. I, I, this is how I describe my relationship. I'm pointing at my dad. My, my relationship with all the staff members here is with every person on staff, I have a weird and wonderful relationship. They're weird and I'm wonderful. So that's, that's how it goes. But, but it's unique. With people, our friends, you know, you have unique ways you relate to people. And so uh, Liz Delorier, if you know Liz, Liz is the administrative assistant. If you call the church, you're most likely to hear Liz's voice first. She answers, sometimes it's Lynn, but most of the time it's Liz. She's the face that you see if you walk in the office uh, sitting at the desk, and, and she does a great job. We're very blessed to have her. Um, but we, well, let me put it this way. I came in this building about a month ago, and there was just a few people in the building. There was an arts class going on. And I walked down to the end of the hall. I had to check something in the big classroom at the end. When I walked in the classroom, there was a set of keys on the table. And I went, these are Liz's keys. Liz is in the building. Liz thinks the building's empty. This is an opportunity. <laughs> and so I heard her coming down the hall. And I hid behind the door. And when she walked in, I jumped out. And in that moment, the peace of Christ was not with her. And 
because she didn't expect me to be there. Now, don't feel sorry for Liz. She gets her revenge, all right? She's not here to tell her side of the story, but she gets her moments, and I've had a few of those moments turned on me. So please, it's what we do. But it's frightening, unsettling, and not enough. And I don't believe Jesus was doing that. I'm just having some fun. But Jesus is there. And I think the, the fact that they were unsettled, bewildered, I mean, is, is testified to the, to the very thing that Jesus says to them. When he first appears, his words, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He instantaneously speaks words of comfort to them. And then in the rest of the, the, the narrative there, he begins to speak with them. And basically what he says, if I can paraphrase Jesus' words, basically what he says is, I told you this was coming. Everything that has been spoken of in the prophets and Moses and the law and the Psalms and the, the, all of this spoke to what has happened. Everything found fulfillment in these three days of death and resurrection. And he brings faith into focus. He brings what he has taught them and what he has pro- proclaimed to them and what they have seen into focus. And I believe that what he does is he wants them to understand the magnitude of what resurrection in life means. And certainly for us, it's important for us to understand the full magnitude of what resurrection in life means. The greatest promise that we have in this, it's the promise that we affirm every time we gather for a celebration of life for a loved one in faith who has gone home and died. And we don't call them funerals. We call them celebrations. Because we understood that Jesus has given us a promise. He's, he's made for us a way. He has overcome death. He has defeated the final enemy. And Paul would proclaim that in Christ, the perishable body must put on imperishability. The mortal body must put on immortality. Then he says the prophecy, the words will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And we proclaim the promise of life eternal. It's what we say. We believe in the resurrection of the body, that what God did for Jesus, God will do for us in Jesus. And if we hear nothing else, hear that today. It's the promise of life now and forever. But there's more. And I think there's a danger, if I can use that word, for us when the resurrection, the gift of Jesus, the promise of life becomes just something that we expect down the road. When it is just something that we relegate to what happens when we die. It's just the sweet by and by, if you will. Because it is that, but it is so much more. And I believe that what Jesus began to do with those disciples is they would teach us in the epistles, in the letters, is that life in Christ is much more than just the promise of what happens when we die. In fact, I went back to the words that Jesus had spoken shortly before all of these events. It's found in John chapter 11. We're going to go there in just a moment. And Jesus said this. He said, I am. Now hear that. Not I will be. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I think that's significant. I think it's powerful. He didn't say, I will be the resurrection. 
He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so I went back to John 11 and I started to look at that story again. And John 11 is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, if you know that story. And if you go back to John chapter 11, it begins this way. And this is how the story unfolds. And it begins to speak to us, I think, about a wider understanding of what resurrection and life means. And when we read that story, when I read that story, my natural tendency is to focus on Jesus and Lazarus and go, yes, this is a foreshadowing story. It's a story of resurrection. It makes sense. Lazarus is dead. He's going to come back from, from the dead. That's a resurrection story. But there's a resurrection story embedded in the resurrection story that is really, really easy to miss. And it widens our perspective of what Easter means for us and what it means to be an Easter people. And so I want to unpack chapter 11 of John's gospel for a moment. And this is how it begins. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Then verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The chapter begins with the incursion into good lives of bad news. It's the incursion into good lives of bad news. Lord, the one you love is sick. I can't speak with certainty for you, but I think I know us well enough to know that everybody in this room knows what it's like when bad news intrudes on a good life. When we hear words like Jesus heard, the one you love is sick. When we hear words spoken directly to us, You are sick. When lives begun to be torn apart, or at least pulled down, if you will, by the reality that bad things are breaking in, the marriages that we had dreamed would be perfect don't prove to be so much. The lives that we had hoped and dreamed for don't seem to be coming about. The job we loved is being taken away. The job we wanted isn't granted. The principal calls to talk to you about your son or your daughter, and it's not the good kind of conversation. The relationships become strained. Fill in the blanks. Bad news that breaks into good lives. And Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not end death, will not end in death. Know it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus immediately sees something. He immediately knows even in this, even in this bad news, God's working. Now, let me say, and I know some of you hear me say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. This is not the same as saying God causes bad things to happen. But Jesus knows God's working. And he knows that God's going to do something even in the midst of this. And as we begin to move through the story, as we begin to build to this climactic resurrection of Lazarus, figures start to emerge that I think experience life in ways that reminds us that resurrection looks a lot bigger than we expect it to be. 
I'm not going to read through every, chap, every verse here in chapter 11, but, but understand what begins to happen. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, and the Scriptures say he does nothing. For two days he stays right where he is, continuing to do what he was doing. He doesn't respond. He doesn't immediately begin to head to where Lazarus is. Then, after two days, he looks at his disciples, and he says, it's time to go. Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him up. And he does not mean he's gone to bed. He means he's died. He says, let's go because God's doing something and we're going to go be a part of it. And this is where the figures begin to emerge. The first figure that emerges that that I think we need to pay attention to is in verse 16. And it's a name some of you know very well. It's a disciple by the name of Thomas. Now, why do we know Thomas? Because he doubts. Hear what Thomas says. Because, I skipped over this. When Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, let's go back to Bethany, the disciples step in and they say, bad idea, Jesus. Let's not do that. And here's why. The last time you were there, they tried to kill you. And common sense tells any of us, if you know that there's a place where people want to kill you, don't go there. There's your life lesson for the day, okay? Walk out of there with that one. If you know there's a place people want to do you harm, don't go there. Jesus says, we're going to go back. And so the disciples say, no, bad idea, Jesus, let's not. But Jesus affirms that God is doing something. But hear what Thomas says. Thomas says to the rest of his disciples, verse 16, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's go. We'll die with him. Now, that sounds like a statement of faith and courage. I don't think it is at all. I think it's pessimism and doubt. Thomas is saying, this is not going to end well. I know that we've put our trust in, but this, Jesus can do a lot of things, but this is crazy. And this isn't going to end well. And this story is going to have, but come on, let's go. If Jesus wants to go, let's go. And he's questioning what God is doing, what Jesus is doing. And I'm just curious, anybody in their journey of faith ever have any moments of doubt? Ever? If you haven't, then you can just tune me out for a moment. You polish your halo, and I'm going to speak to everybody else. Um, he just he doesn't know how this can end well. He, he doesn't know where God is in the midst of this. You know what? John the Baptist had the same. Everybody in the Scriptures had these moments. This is why I say, and I don't say it flippantly, that we have those moments. But... He's wondering, and I think, we want, Lord, where are you? I, this isn't going the way that it should go. This isn't panning out the way I dreamed it would plan out. You're not doing anything. I'm not even sure you're even there. And I'm confident that most of us, if not all of us, have had those moments. See, what we're starting to be introduced to is figures that are dying but not in the way Lazarus had. But it's a spiritual death. Thomas is becoming hardened in his own doubt, his question of how God could be in this at all or how God could be there at all. And so Thomas steps forward and he represents, as Thomas often does, sometimes with an unfair rap, but he represents doubt. Then comes our second figure, and she's very, very easy to miss. But we find her tucked sort of into verse 20. 
It says, this is now Jesus and the disciples now are heading back. It says in verse 20, that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. You might be thinking, big deal. That doesn't tell us anything. Oh, but I think it does. Because if you know the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus, you would know that in Luke's gospel, earlier, before these events, Jesus had been there. They, they, they knew each other. And Luke's gospel tells us that when Jesus came to visit the home, that Martha was busy making sure everything was ready. She was making sure the house was clean, the floors were vacuumed, the dishes were washed, the decorations were hung, the food was prepared. She was busy bee getting all the details done. And remember, Martha got angry. Why? Why did Martha get angry? Because Mary wasn't helping her. What was Mary doing? She was seated at the foot of Jesus. She couldn't get enough Jesus' time. She didn't want to sacrifice a single moment that she had to be with Jesus. She hung on every second that she could be in his presence. I want you to think about that. That's Mary. Right here it says Jesus is coming. And Mary stayed home. Mary's trapped, I believe, in the death of her brother. She's trapped in her despair. She's trapped. She's in the figurative fetal position. And I think a few of us know what that feels like. When the world has caved in and your dreams have died and your hopes are shattered and your wishes are gone. You know, when you, you know, there's a, there's this, I I just thought about this, but there's a scene in the movie, The Goonies. How many of you remember that movie? Okay. There's a scene when, Oh, I'm not going to remember which one the character is. The mouthy one. Mouth? Is it? Mouth? Is it mouth? Mouth? Is it? Okay. I didn't plan this. This is free. Um, But they're going through and they come to the wishing well where the, the coins have been thrown in. And he starts grabbing the money. And they say, you can't do that. These are people's wishes. And he gets angry. And he says, well, this one was mine. And it didn't come true. So I'm taking them all back. You know, life has not gone the way that it should have gone. And we become trapped in that. And I think that's what's happened to Mary. She's become trapped in her own, her own despair, her own, uh, her own just grief, if you will. And so she stays home. Instead of seizing, as she had at one time, the moments she had with Jesus. Thomas, who represents doubt. Mary, who represents this um, despair. And then there's Martha. She's number three. Now, Martha is interesting because she's the character that shows the most faith. Martha's the one that believes Jesus could have done something. And it's because she believed that she's angry. Hear what she says in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, Martha's frustration is not that God can't act, but that God didn't act. 
Martha's frustration is not that like Thomas she doubts that God can do it or like Mary that she's trapped in her own despair. She believes Jesus could have made him well. She believes Jesus could have set things right. Where the heck were you? And I think some of us know those kind of prayers too. To sit there and to wonder why are my prayers going unanswered? Why am I having to wait? Why haven't things gone? Lord, I know you can. You do it for others. Why not for me? And so we have characters that are dying inside, dying in doubt, dying in despair, dying in their own dismay over the delay. But their spirits are shriveling. And it is into this scene, into this experience, that Jesus speaks these words, I am the resurrection and the life. And specifically, he says, I'm all, that's right, amen. I am the life. I am the life. And then he says something that's very interesting. When he goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he prepares to call him forth, he says this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, not because Lazarus needed to hear it, because Thomas needed to hear it, but because Mary needed to hear it, because Martha needed to hear it. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear it. Because understand this, resurrection is not an event. It's a person. It's Jesus. And when we are in the presence of Jesus and we allow Jesus into our lives and to be in this relationship, we experience a promise of resurrection and life. And it's not just about what God will do, but about what God does in the here and now in Christ to begin to breathe life into our brokenness, restoration into our our broken relationships, healing into our illness, peace into our fear. And it's not pie in the sky. It's not life's always going to be smooth and nothing's ever going to go wrong. But it's Jesus saying, I am with you in it. And I will be, the one who is able to bring death from life can bring healing to your broken heart and broken situations. Because I know if we live on this earth long enough, we find ourselves in those moments. And so I think when we go back to that resurrection appearance in Luke, that when Jesus says, peace be with you, he's not only calming his disciples, he's making them an offer. Peace is with you because I'm here. Life is with you because I'm here. Resurrection is with you because I'm here. And you're invited to remain in me and I will remain in you. It's an invitation that Jesus offers. And it's not just about what will be, but it is about what is. I am the resurrection and the life. We are offered life in Christ. I pray that you receive it and let God speak into the broken places and rejoice in the best of places. Not all of us are there. Our journeys will take us to the best of the heights and the the depths of the struggles. But Jesus is there. And he offers us resurrection and life. He offers us peace. As he says in John 14, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. It is not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Do not be afraid. Brothers and sisters, we are people that affirm resurrection and life. And we believe it in what will be, and we believe it in what is. Let us worship God and invite that life into our lives. Let us pray. Resurrected God, who in Christ has broken the bonds of death and shown to have final victory over all things. Lord, speak life to our lives. Break through our hard hearts. Light the dark places. And bring us into wholeness and resurrection. That is the power of Christ, the power of Christ that was exemplified on that very first Easter and is offered every day to all who would believe. Lord, that we would believe. In the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let the people of God say, Amen.